Matthew chapter 4, we're, we've made it here into the fourth chapter, and uh, today we're looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, Matthew has been building for us a case that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the, the one that was promised in the Old Testament scriptures, that, that Jesus is the anointed one, that Jesus is the Christ, and that he is the King of kings, and that he is the Lord of lords. God's people, the covenant people of Israel, had been waiting for generations and generations for God to fulfill his promises that he had made. And Matthew is making the case for us that the one who fulfills those promises is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. And so here we've seen several evidences and we've seen the genealogical evidence, we've seen his divine lineage that that, that Christ is eternal, that Jesus is eternal, that he is the Son of God. We, we've seen in his baptism, uh, the, the Father pronounce that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, that even the witness from heaven as the Spirit descended upon him as a dove, and the voice of the Father speaking out uh, for all to hear that this is the one that there should be no mistake about who the Messiah is. It is Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. And here, as we move into Matthew chapter 4, again, Matthew is going to lay before us another evidence that Jesus is not just like anybody else. That Jesus is the conquering, victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Matthew chapter 4, this is immediately following uh, the baptism of Jesus there by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And again, God the Father speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 it says, then, so out of the water after this baptism, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as we spend the next few moments here 
uh, studying, looking at, receiving from your word. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see what it is you want us to see today. Give us ears to hear the words you want us to hear today. Lord, speak to us. Lord, help our hearts to be receptive uh, to your word and, and to your instruction. Lord, it's not an accident uh, that any of us is here this morning. Lord, it is by your divine decree and your sovereign providence, Lord, that we are right here, right now, in this moment. Lord, you've, you've, your word even says that you determined that the times and seasons in which we would live and even the, the places that we would live, even the people that we would be surrounded by. Lord, you have called us. It's not an accident that we're alive in this day and age and you've called us to live as your covenant people to be faithful to you, our King, our Savior, our Lord, our Messiah. Lord, help us in our time in your word to, to live faithfully for you, to live out the, the purpose, the plan, your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, this, this evidence, this, this evidence that Jesus is not like anybody else. As Jesus overcomes the tempter, as, as Jesus is victorious over temptation, it's another evidence of the, the messianic uh, uh, line, the messianic office that Jesus possesses. He, he's not just another man. He, he's not just another so-called Messiah. He truly is the one that has been sent from heaven. This is revealed to us as, 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 as he overcomes the devil in this moment. He was anointed by the Spirit for ministry. We saw that in his baptism. Not that he was in need of the Holy Spirit's anointing as the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily, but these outward manifestations were for our benefit, the, the Spirit descending, the Father speaking from heaven. And now here we see that Jesus overcomes the enemy. He overcomes the temptation of Satan. Now, the, the passage opens here with this surprising statement. This isn't necessarily what we would expect. He has this wonderful moment there in the Jordan River. Again, the Spirit descending, the Father speaking. But then verse 1 says that he is led by the Spirit, and, and we all want to be Spirit-led, amen? Amen. That's our goal. Let's be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? But he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, yes, we want to be led by the Spirit, but how many of us want to spend time in the wilderness? None of us. So sometimes we see that the Spirit will lead us to places that we don't expect. The Spirit will lead us into places that we don't anticipate. He's led into an unusual place, the wilderness, by the Holy Spirit. And he's led there for an unusual purpose, to be tempted by the devil. Now, the wilderness is not a comfortable place. It's not an easy place. It's not a place of abundance. This isn't like the men's camp out a few weeks ago where... We all went camping, but we stayed in cabins with air conditioning. That's, <laughs> this is not like that. Jesus truly was in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days. Not only did we not fast, but we gorged ourselves out <laughs> on our camping trip. 
It's not a place of comfort. It's not a place of ease. It's not a place of abundance. It's a place of lack, a place of isolation. There's nobody else around. He is all on his own. It's a place of loneliness. But it's exactly where God wanted him to be. So just because you're in a place of lack, just because your life is not comfortable at the moment, just because you may feel even lonely, it does not mean that you're outside of the will of God. Unless we're, unless we're going to say that Jesus being in the wilderness was outside the will of God. No. In fact, there are times where God will lead us into places like that so that we will learn to truly trust in him and in him alone. You see, the, the comforts that we surround ourselves with, we can begin to trust in those. We can begin to put our faith in those. And I'm all for comfort. I run my AC just like the rest of you, all right? But we can begin to become dependent upon these things. And so there are times and there are seasons where even the Spirit would lead us into a place that's like a wilderness. There are times and seasons where, where God will even allow us to experience isolation and even loneliness so that we would learn not to, to, to totally rely and depend upon others, but only depend upon God. Or that we would learn to depend upon God in a level and at a way that we have never learned to depend upon Him again. And so He is led there. And just because you're, you're in a difficult time, in a difficult season, it does not mean that you're outside of the will of God. In fact, it may be that God is wanting to show you something about Him and His character and His power that you've never seen and experienced before. Amen. And I believe that. I believe that for every, for every difficult season, for every valley, you know, the psalmist writes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That in every wilderness place, in every valley, that the Lord is there with us to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to show us who he is. And as we pass through that valley with him, learning of him, knowing him, we experience the eternal life that only he can give. We experience the peace that surpasses understanding. We, we experience the joy of the spirit even in the midst of difficulty and hardship. And so if you're passing through a place like this, notice here that Jesus didn't stay there forever. Amen? Amen. The, the, the wilderness, wilderness is not somewhere that God has us for the, the duration of our lives. They are seasons. They have a beginning and they have an ending. And so in that season, if that's where you're at, look to the Lord Find out what it is he's wanting to teach you. Look at to what he's wanting you to discover. But also know that this is temporary. This is a temporary season. So he's there. He's there. The purpose that he's there for is to be tempted by the devil. And the devil comes and tempts him with, with three questions. Three, three uh, 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 proposes to him three courses of action. 
And I want to conclude today by giving you three ways that we can overcome temptation in our life because we're all tempted, amen? Amen. Not only have we all been tempted, but unlike Christ, we've all at one point in our lives given in to temptation. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible declares. And we are all tempted. And so I want to end today by giving you uh, three keys to overcoming temptation. But let's zero in here. Let's, let's look at the temptations that Satan lays before Jesus. The first one is, he simply says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be t- turned into loaves of bread. Now, of course, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. And after 40 days, bread sounds really good. Amen? After 40 minutes, bread sounds good. Why is this a temptation? Is it a, t- is it a sin to eat bread? Well, I hope not. No, no, of course, it's not a temptation to eat bread. So where, where is the sin here? It's not a sin to eat if you're hungry. Jesus was hungry. He was fasting. Here is, here is why it would have been a sin for Jesus to turn the stones into bread. The bread is not the issue. The eating is not the issue. The issue is the question, if you are the son of God. You see, the, the father had just pronounced over Jesus 40 days prior as he came up out of the water, what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Satan comes and he challenges Jesus. He challenges him to prove his sonship. He challenges his identity and he calls into question the validity of the word of God. That's the temptation. The temptation is to doubt what the father had said. That's the temptation. If you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. The temptation is to doubt the word of God. The temptation is calling into question what God had said. That was the temptation. And if he would have given in to that, it didn't matter what the the action was. It was what set up the action. He could have said, turn this grass into enchiladas or something. I, I don't know, but it, it's not the action. It was the, it was the presupposition. It was the condition upon which he would have been acting, calling into question the word of God. Isn't that subtle? It is so subtle. And of course, it reminds us of the temptation in Genesis chapter 3, where, where Satan comes subtly disguised as a serpent, begins to speak to Adam and Eve there in the garden. And what does he do? Well, he does the exact same thing. Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Isn't this the same question he's asking Jesus? Did God really say that you're his son? Prove it by taking of this stone and turning it into bread. It is so subtle. 
And there are so many parallels between Adam and Eve in the garden and Jesus here being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. But Jesus, what does he do when when Satan comes and he tempts him? He declares, it is written. Can you say that with me? It is written. And here he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter chapter 8, verse 3, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, I am not going to doubt the word of God. I am not going to doubt the word of God. In fact, I live on the word. I feast on the word. The word is my source. The word is what sustains my spiritual life. Amen. He comes again with this second temptation. He leads him to the the top of the temple. And then he says, okay, Jesus, you want to quote the Bible? I'll quote the Bible. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And here he quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. What he leaves out from Psalm 91 is that God's promises to protect his people are for the people who are living according to God's will. That's what he leaves out. So by Jesus throwing himself down from the temple, he would not have been living in accordance with the will of God. And in doing so, he would have invalidated what God said in Psalm 91. But Jesus says to him, again it is written. Say, again it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, he calls into question what the Father had declared about Christ and his identity, twisting the scripture, distorting it, leaving parts out of it. We have to be very careful. Satan knows the word of God. He twists it. He distorts it. He bends it to make it say what it should not say to lead people into deception. There's a great example of this right now. There's a governor who's advertising that you can come and if you live in a state that doesn't allow you to have an abortion, that you can come to his state and have an abortion. And so he's putting up billboards all over the country in states that have outlawed abortion and he's saying, come to my state and kill your baby. And at the bottom, he quotes the words of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. It's happening right now. Twisting the scripture. Claiming to be fulfilling the words of Christ while destroying the very ones who bear his image. Listen, uh, we live in a world that wants to twist things and and take the truth and turn it into lies and, and to lead people into deception. And it's not a new thing. We see it right here. We see it right here. Satan quoting Psalms to try and lead 
Jesus into sin. And here finally the third temptation. He says again the devil takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse 9 he says to him all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What Satan is tempting Jesus here with because you see Jesus knew that to ransom back, to, to, to take back the nations that Adam had delivered over to Satan by sinning, that he would have to endure the horrors of the cross and the wrath of God that was laid upon him. And so what Satan here is saying is, you, you don't have to go to the cross to receive the nations. I will give them to you. You can bypass the cross. It's a shortcut. Just bow down and worship me and I will give you the nations. I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Skip the cross. And Jesus here, of course, says, be gone, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, Satan, notice here, Satan doesn't say, if you will bow down, worship me, and serve me. Satan only says, if you will worship me. But Jesus knows that whatever you worship, you, you will end up serving. That, that, that even if he would have done this, he would have himself been a slave to Satan, just like Adam and all the human race that is under Adam and not in Christ. He wouldn't have been the king of anything. He would have been the slave and so he says, you will worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus here is tempted yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. You see, temptation is the invitation to sin. It's rolling out the red carpet to sin. It's, it's the enticement by the enemy, the world, our flesh to sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is breaking God's law, God's commandments, God's word. But hear me in this, temptation in and of itself is not sin. So you can be tempted to sin and not sin. Christ shows us this. So I can endure temptation, and, and when I endure temptation, the invitation to break God's word, to break God's commandments, I have a choice to make. I can either give in to the temptation and, and break God's word and sin against God and others, or, or I can choose, like Christ, to obey God's word. And this choice is the spiritual inheritance of all who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Because Christ in the wilderness here is victorious over Satan. He's victorious over temptation. Now Satan, I talked about, Satan also subtly tempted our first parents in the Garden of Eden. They fell into sin. They fell into questioning God's word, the truthfulness of the word of God. They, they, they disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. 
But where Adam failed, Christ overcame. Amen. Where Adam rebelled against God, Christ submitted to the word of God. Where Adam sinned, disobeying God's law, disobeying God's word, Christ obeyed, keeping God's word and God's commandments perfectly and faithfully, enduring every temptation that you and I will ever face, yet without sin. And this is the inheritance for the saints of God. Because Christ not only obeyed in the wilderness of Judea, but Christ also obeyed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the night before he went to the cross, he he prayed. He said, God, if there's any other way to accomplish your plan, let this cup pass from me. But then what did he say? What did he conclude with? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The power of Christ, the power of perfect submission to the Father, the power of willing to submit to the Father and willing to submit to his plan and to his will and to his word, no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, Jesus paid the greatest price of submission that anyone will ever pay. Amen. He willingly laid down his will to the Father's will. And in doing so, he took upon himself our sin. And not only did he take our sin, but he took the punishment for our sin. Every drop, the Bible says, every drop of the punishment for sin was laid upon Christ on the cross. You see, Christ didn't just endure the scourging. He didn't just endure the crown of thorns. He didn't just endure the beard being plucked and and the mockery of being crucified shamefully, openly, publicly. He didn't only endure the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. He didn't only endure the spear in his side. As bad as all of that is, it pales in comparison. It only barely gives us a visual of the wrath of God that was poured out upon him. All the fury and the fire of hell poured upon Christ as he hung on the cross. But on the cross, he declares what? It is finished. Amen. So that Paul can write in 2 Corinthians 5 and that he can say, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, if you are in Christ today, you are the righteousness of God. When God sees you, he doesn't see a wretched sinner. He he sees a redeemed saint. He doesn't see your righteousness, which are his filthy rags. Those filthy rags were laid upon Christ on the cross, and we are now clothed in his garments of righteousness. Amen. We have been declared righteous. We have received the imputed, that that means uh, added, credited to our account, the righteousness of God. How many of you would love it one day if you woke up and had uh, the, the wealth of Elon Musk credited to your account? That would be great. 
but how much greater to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account. Amen. That's the gospel message. That for all who turn from sin in faith and repent and look to Christ and his perfect atoning work, that we are not clothed in our filthy rags anymore. Our burden of sin laid upon him, his righteousness laid upon us. So that Paul can declare, therefore, because of this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. The old life of sin and shame and death has passed away. Behold, the new life has come. Listen, we we are born in sin. We are born uh, in the flesh according to Adam but we are born again by the Spirit of God according to Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, we are a new creation. What that means is that that Spirit, His Spirit is alive on the inside of us. His Spirit that perfectly submitted to the Father's will is in us. His power is in us. His perfect obedience is in us. We have been in Christ. We have been set free. Romans 8, 2, for in Christ Jesus, the law of sin, of the law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus said, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now again, this does not mean that you will never be tempted. You will endure temptation. We all will be tempted. We all will be invited to put our will, our desires above God's word and God's will. But what changes for the child of God is that we have the power of the risen Savior alive inside of each one of us which means that we have been set free from the power of sin. That through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ and the pouring out of his spirit upon the church, the shackles that bound us to Adam, the way of Adam, the way of rebellion, the way of sin, in Christ those shackles have been broken. Amen. We don't have to live a life of sin and shame anymore because we have the power of the one who obeyed and overcame in us, living through us. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who gave himself for me. I want to close today by giving you three keys 
to overcoming temptation that we see here in the text. The first one I've, I've mentioned already. But number one, we have to know the Word of God. We have to know the Word of God. The, the three temptations come, the, the three invitations to sin, they come. And likewise, just like Christ, we will all be tempted. We will be invited to break God's word and to live in sin. But Jesus here combats, combats the temptation of Satan with what? With the word of God. And and to overcome temptation, we have to know the word. Jesus didn't have time to pull out his Bible app. Right? Jesus, in in the moment, he didn't have time to text his pastor. Right? Like... He had it on the inside of him. This is why the psalmist, Dave, the psalmist writes in, in Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That the, the, the knowing of the word of God, the memorizing of the word of God, the studying of the word of God enables us to live a life set free of sin. Yes, it is by the Spirit of God. We see Jesus, the the Spirit of God, come upon him. Yes, if if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you will not overcome temptation. But for those in Christ, what, what do we do now with the Spirit of God? We need the Word of God stored up in our hearts. Psalm 31, 37, 1. Psalm 37, 31. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. You see, Satan comes and he comes subtly. He comes and he he tempts Jesus with something that, again, on the surface, turn these stones into bread, nothing sinful about that. But he slides in there doubt. He slides in there unbelief. He slides in there questioning God's word. And to be able to spot what is false in our world today, you must know what is true. To spot what is false, you must know what is true. To spot the lie, you must know the truth. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Listen, you can be a a spirit-filled, born-again Christian and ruin your life. Make shipwreck of it. You, You can have your ticket punched to glory and destroy your legacy. Ruin everything that God wants to do in and through your life, through sin. We focus too much, I think, on, well, will this keep me from going to heaven or not? Well, can I do this and still go to heaven? That's the wrong way to think. We're taught by Jesus to pray, 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to do something with your life here to make it count for his kingdom now. It's not only about being with God forever in eternity one day. It's about living for him now, building something for him now, making a difference for the kingdom now. But his people, God's people, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Their legacies destroyed. Their purpose destroyed. Everything God has for us to do for him in 2022 and beyond, often destroyed because of lack of knowledge, because of not knowing the word of God. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We must know the word. That's number one. And listen, in 2022, we really have no excuses for not knowing the word of God. There really are no excuses. There are, there are apps. <laughs> you you want to listen to it, you can listen to it. You want to read it, you want to read it. You want to have it on your coffee mug, you can have it on your coffee mug. I mean, you, you can have access to the Word of God literally everywhere you are, 24-7. You can listen to it when you go to sleep at night. You can listen to it when, I mean, you can, you can know the Word. We're not like generations past where the word of God was, was in a different language than the common people and chained to the pulpit. We're not like that. The word of God has been unchained. The word of God has been put into our language. You, you, you know that the first person that translated the word of God in, from the original languages into English, William Tyndale, you know he was burned at the stake for doing so? Like people, people sacrificed. And, 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 and you, you know that William Tyndale, he didn't need to do that for himself. He could read it in the, in the original languages because he translated it. So he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for others. Blood has been spilt so that we could have access to the word of God. There really are no excuses. There are resources upon resources upon resources to know the word of God. That's number one. You got to know it. Say you got to know it. Number two, you must apply it. You must apply the word of God. And that's what Jesus does with each one of these temptations. He takes the word of God and he applies it. He, he, he brings it to bear on that situation. Jesus did this for our account by speaking, out, speaking it out loud, and, and we see this here. We don't have time to turn there today. I want to give you some scriptures that, that you can, can go to and, and reflect on a little bit this week. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, write that down. Maybe you'll have time to study that this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. We must apply the word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, talking about the, the, the word is the sword of the spirit that we wield, the, the armor of God. Hebrews 4.12, many of us know this one. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
The word of God is like a sword. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, Christ is pictured as, as conquering, riding on a horse with a sword coming from his mouth. He, he, the, the, sword isn't, but doesn't, the sword of the Spirit isn't something that we wield. I mean, I have a pretty big Bible. It could probably do some damage, but it, it's not a physical weapon. It is a spiritual weapon. So the sword that Jesus wields is not in his hand, but it proceeds from his mouth. The word of God must be in our hearts and it must be in our mouths. Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. We must apply the word. We must look at the situation, look at the temptation, and say, no, this is what the word of God says about that. And this is, because it says this, then on to step three, we must obey the word of God. It's not enough to, number one, know it. It's not enough to, number two, even apply it. We must, like Christ, obey it. It doesn't do any good to know the word and apply the word if you don't obey the word. You must put it into action. James chapter 2 says what? Faith without works is dead. James chapter 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As a pastor, I see this happen far too often where the word of God is known, the word of God is applied. Because of this, this is what we should do in this situation, according to the word of God, but tragically, it is not obeyed. We must, number one, what? Know the word. Number two, we must what? Apply the word. And number three, we must obey the word. To know it, to apply it, and to obey it. And we can do that because we have the power of the one who conquered in us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. Just want to ask you, let's just take a moment here and go before the Lord in prayer. Let's give the Lord an opportunity to just speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us by your spirit. Lord, if there's any area in our life right now that we are being tempted, we are being invited to, to break your commandments, where we know your word, where we even see how your word applies to the situation, but Lord, we're not walking in obedience. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us right now. Lord, we are thankful that there is no condemnation. Lord, that you don't shun us, but Lord, that you, like the 
the father and the prodigal son, Lord, you, you welcome us with open arms. You, you beckon us to come to you. So, Lord, I pray that through the conviction of your spirit today, we would feel your beckoning. We would feel your calling us to faithfulness, to calling us to repentance, to calling us to fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for these great and glorious promises that if we are in your son, Lord, that we are a new creation. Lord, that your spirit is alive on the inside of us. Lord, that we don't have to walk in bondage to sin, but we can walk in freedom and victory and obedience because you walked in freedom and victory and obedience and you live in us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater revelation of the work of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.